everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for March. Um, now, joining me today, um, if you imagine that you're on an island and you're wandering about and um, you're one of potentially several different types of classes of people, you're going from place to place and sometimes you you have a little bit of an adventure, sometimes you have a little bit of an encounter, sometimes you know, sometimes you might get into a bit of a scrap and uh, the aim is not to just become the master of all you used to be but to become a bit of a, a legend. Because um, joining me today I've got Wes Woodbury. Wes B- Woodbury is from Fundamental Games and he's putting the fun into Fundamental, believe me. And uh, he's here to talk about Legends of Novus. So hello, Wes. Hello. How you, how are you doing, sir? Are you well? I'm doing quite well, Richard. Thank you. Yourself? I'm yeah. I'm good. Um, I'm a nine point two, I think. Now that's, that's pretty either, specific. <laughs> well, see that you know, out of ten, it means it's amazing. Out of a hundred, it means I should probably just uh, I should probably just go to bed. Um, there you go. I was m- making an <laughs> assumption there. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. There's that old training thing about. Never assume anything, kind of thing, which I'm sure that everybody's aware of and everybody's currently groaning about. Um, for everybody who has listening to us for the first time, the reason that we do this is because I like doing this. So there you go. And the <laughs> second, the second reason that we're doing this is because um, last year, towards the tail end of the year, a gentleman by the name of Wes sent me a message, and he says. I've got this game coming out on Kickstarter next year. Would you like to have a chat about it at some point? Would you actually like to get a sample of the game um, so you can have a play about it and you can tell us about your thoughts? And I said, this sounds like a capital idea. So we've been having a conversation back and forward since then. Now, the Canadian Postal Service, however, is a big pile of rubbish because those guys decided that they were going to go on strike and they decided, now, industrial action is fine and I respect the rights of a worker to be able to protest <laughs> if they feel that, um, you know, that their rights are being eroded in some way and they're not protecting themselves and the rights to their sick pay and family care and everything like that. That's And their pension, that's completely understandable. But what it did mean is that when the postal strike finished, the little parcel <laughs> that Wes sent to me so I could have a shot of Legends of Novus and try it out, just a prototype, not a fully finished production game, took about six weeks to land on the doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> that just happened to be about um, 
just in time for the Kickstarter to kind of kickstart. So, yeah, you know. I honestly thought it was gone for good, but uh, then one day you said it showed up, and that's good news then. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. That was kind of like, you're like, it's gone. I'm like, no, no, I have, <laughs> I have hope. I work it. Part of my job is I get involved in logistics. I am aware of the Canadian Postal Service strike. Everything will be fine. You're like, it's gone for good. And it was, <laughs> it was like going on for weeks. Has it turned up yet? And it's like, no, I'll let you know when it's turned up. It's like, has it turned up yet? It's not turned up. And then just one day, it's like, I got a, <laughs> I got a message saying, oh, uh, yeah, there's a charge for this parcel. Because <laughs> it got, got held up in customs on this side. So I had to pick it up and it's like, where's it's arrived. It's kind of here. So, um, so there you go. So that's a little bit of a backstory. I know it's a little bit more of a backstory than what we usually give you in terms of backstory, but it's, I feel it's a tale that kind of sets the kind of tone for the, the conversation that's going to happen. Um, so one of, <laughs> one of the things that we like to do is we like to have a little bit of a chat. Um, about your good self because we like to find out a little bit about the man or the person behind the actual game itself um, obviously I mean Legends of Novus it's on Kickstarter just now it's going through that kind of rigmarole of kind of getting backers on a daily basis and dealing with all that kind of fun stuff but how long have you been involved in kind of like the tabletop scene I mean how long how long was it but since you kind of picked up your first little meeple, rolled the dice, <laughs> put it down on the board? I mean, well, do you remember? Well, my my first, sorry, yeah, yeah my, my first job was in a comic store back when I was 16. Wow. And games, I was surrounded by games at the time. That was actually when Magic the Gathering was hitting its peak. I think it was around Ice Age time, if anybody <laughs> measures their life in terms of magic. That was uh, when I got into gaming and comics and never really turned back. Uh, but the actual intense hobbyist gaming, I didn't really discover until about a year and a half ago. And that's when uh, a whole new world opened up beyond just magic and D&D. In terms of the the magic stuff, did you did you go in for like a quite a quite a decent size kind of collection then? I mean, did you were you the guy that ended up having like you know, 10,000 <laughs> cards that were all kind of sleeved and you kind of you knew them not only by their names, but you also gave them their own individual names and you had your own decks and, and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was very deep into it, uh, all kinds of different decks, different collections. Uh, back then, foils didn't exist, but uh, since then, I've been in and out of the magic scene multiple times, both online and offline, because I think um, at its core, it's an amazing game, but I mm. have lost lost interest in it yet again because I find it's too hard to keep up with. Do you think... Um, that they change it maybe too much to kind of keep the meta kind of interesting that it can be kind of difficult to kind of keep in keep up to date with what's happening uh, honestly i think it's all about the bottom line hasbro has made some amazing strides with it and, and i think mm. it's more popular now than it's ever been uh, mm. but it's about making sure that the magic continues and they just keep reeling it in kind of like star wars now where uh, it was once um, amazing epic and now it's you get a new episode every year and it's not quite the magic that it once was <laughs> I can see that I can see that I can see them try to kind of bring into kind of like a new generation and we've got kind of like different I think there's different chapters there's going to be a Mandalorian Wars 
series kind of coming out. Um, I am going to hold my hands up and say I, I kind of don't mind or quite really kind of enjoyed Rogue One. I actually caught ha- the solo film again um, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And do you know what? I kind of enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> it didn't offend me. Um, I kind of had fun with it. I kind of took it for what it was and didn't expect it to be kind of like, I guess, kind of this wonderful, amazing thing. And it would, you know what, in all honesty, it kind of was wonderful and amazing in its own right. And it maybe just got a little, a little bit of a bad rap, you know, yeah, at the kind yeah, of the time, you know. I agree. I have a lot of fun with them as well. Like I watched, uh, what episode would that be now? Episode eight, I think. Um, and I really enjoyed that one, despite the fact that I made that comment. I mean, <laughs> the franchise itself is still uh, leagues beyond many different uh, movie franchises out there. Rogue One's better than the Return of the Jedi. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me. But, exactly. Uh, that's a running joke with my stepdaughter and I. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you stepped away from magic, kind of, and you said you stepped away. You went kind of back and forward. When, I mean, did that kind of coincide with you getting kind of interested in cardboard? I mean, you didn't. You didn't move from magic to Catan, did you? <laughs> Uh, good old Catan. Yeah, uh, Catan did make its way into my household, and we enjoyed that for a couple of months before suddenly it became very repetitive. And then we just started exploring different games. Uh, got into Dominion, which we just recently yeah. bought the Adventures expansion. Oh, got yeah. into Clank, Clank um, Legends, or sorry, um, Lords of Waterdeep, Castles of Burgundy. Just all these amazing games that have actually been around for years are new to us, and it's pretty exciting to. Uh, get to experience them for the first time, even though other people have talked about them for years. So, are you are you quite new to kind of like um, building up your your board game collection then? Yeah, like uh, about eighteen months ago is when we began, but that was at a trickle, and then suddenly this past Christmas, we probably j- I think we just bought each other board games, and we made wow. about another dozen or so, and that's where it's really uh, taken off from there. Um, even though I started building Legends and Ovis before this uh, board game explosion that we've had uh-huh. uh gaming's always been part of my life what's um so is it a family thing with yourself is it yourself and your partner and the rest of the family or is it just you and your partner or yeah it's my wife uh my son my my daughter I, uh, my uh, sorry my, my stepchildren and then of course i play with my my uh son in edmonton when i get the chance as well so All right. um I mean, we've all played games, and, and it's a good way for the family to bond and also get frustrated with each other. <laughs> you don't. You, it's better you to do, fight over a board game than other things. I suppose you don't bring Monopoly to the table, do you, Wes? Nope, Monopoly's faded uh, ever since Catan hit the table. Monopoly's disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, is there any games that you kind of, as a family unit, you like to kind of like play? I mean, you mentioned Clank there, which I found was a lot of fun in terms of a kind of a pressure luck game but is there any games that you kind of like the three or the four of you kind of look forward to kind of getting around the table together and having a having a game of uh there's three of them that hit the table the most uh number or the top one is dominion right now just because it's so mm-hmm. versatile and with about five different expansions there's not a single game that's the same uh, mm-hmm. the second most played would be lords of Waterdeep because there's some some fun with the intrigue cards and the different lords. And then the third one we play uh, less frequently, but still enjoy is Castles of Burgundy. 
just so many layers of strategy built into that game. I find that one is, um, although the theme is so mundane, uh, mm-hmm. the strategy is what drives that one. Okay. Okay. Um, did that, so you mentioned, obviously, you were gonna, you were designing kind of Legends of Novus before you kind of really started to get into the kind of, the, you know, really piling on with the kind of the hobby. What made you decide to kind of stick pen to paper, you know, to to get the po- to get the post-it notes out and to you know put the tipex over the dice and start <laughs> putting your own faces on it? Because I'm pretty sure you use tipex. Um, but what I mean, what what was the kind of the I guess the genesis, really, of uh, of Novus? Yeah, it was uh, a couple months after Catan, and we realized that all the different board games are out there. It was at my local game store and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played Friday Night Magic there quite frequently, but then they had this whole cupboard and collection of board games that you could just go and play. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it was one Friday night, my son and I uh, decided to head over there and just pull a game off the shelf. And it turns out we pulled off Munchkin, which uh, I haven't played again. I haven't played again, and I haven't ever bought it. Uh, but just playing Munchkin opened my mind up to what I could create because it was an adventure in a deck. And I thought, you know what? I can't stand this stab you in the back mechanic, and I can't uh-huh. stand these graphics, and I can't stand the simplicity of it. Yeah. But I lo- I loved where it could where it could go, and that I could actually build D and D out of cards instead of having to play an entire role playing game. And from you know, it was that night. I think I scribbled down. Uh, many different concepts in my head, and then it was for the next four weeks that it really just gelled into what was originally just a card game, and mm-hmm. then through some playtesting with some different groups, uh, it expanded into having a board and having uh, standees and having dice. So it really, uh, I, I have to thank Steve Jackson and Munchkin for helping me get Novus created to begin with, even though I never want to play Munchkin again. Uh, my apologies <laughs> to the Munchkin fans out there. It's just not my type uh, of game. It's, it's it's fine. I don't know if Munchkin fans. Um, no, I'm sure you know if you like you like what you like, and if you like Munchkin, that's kind of fair enough. I personally, I've never um, I've never ever played it just because it's never one of these games I've ever played. You know, and as I've as I've confessed before, I've played Catan electronically, and I've never actually played it as a real life game. You know, does that make yeah. me a bad person? Um, no, it means that I haven't kind of um, maybe played a game that involves a lot of randomness, wood and sheep, you know, at the end of the day. Um, did you, when you were doing the kind of the play, the play testing side of things, was that kind of like with like a local game group that you went to? Did you get the kind of the family involved again? Uh, it started by dragging my kids into it because they say you shouldn't really test too much outside of your own walls if you haven't at least tried to build up your own mechanics. So uh played mm-hmm. quite a bit with my stepdaughter and my stepson. Uh, mm-hmm. played a little bit. Uh, I, I discovered Tabletopia quite early and I was able to transport all these cards digitally and actually right. played with a, form, a former uh, co-worker of mine a number of times. And that was awesome. Uh, just being able to do it digitally at a board game. I'd never even heard of it before, but um, the, the doors it opens for designing the game was amazing because you could uh, tweak cards at any given moment or add components at any given moment. Uh, so that was pretty awesome. And then it was uh, shortly after that that I then discovered 
tabletop simulator, which to me is a, a step above Tabletopia. And mm-hmm. actually, I, I think there was a, a gentleman from the UK that actually agreed to play with me, and we had a two-hour game session one night, and he helped me evolve parts of the mechanic, and it just... Uh, uh, also, the local game group, the local game store, and then there's another group about an hour away that um, I lent the game to multiple times, and they just kept on giving me great feedback. And um, then it started going into a print and play uh, uh, multiple places around the world. So you found the um, the use of kind of like a digital structure kind of really helped with the play testing of the game. Then uh, it helped me truly visualize it, particularly if I wanted to change out potential art, not, not having my own art at the time. Um, on those uh, platforms, you can download whatever images you want and just uh, pretend they're yours, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that you're not trying to sell it or make money off of that. You just want to get that mindset behind it. So it helped to visualize what I wanted the game to become before I had any rights to art or um, to my own images or, or graphics. So I think it was awesome that way, and, and just reaching out to people you don't even know. It's a lot easier to say, hey, do you want to play a digital game? And, hey, do yeah. you want to print out this 400-card game and uh, yeah. have, have some fun with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that um, struck me about it was that um, the presentation of the game, even in its kind of like component format, um, was was very very kind of striking. I mean, was it important that you, you know, obviously with with you running it through kind of like Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator, um, was it important that you maintained that when you started to kind of put together kind of like the physical components as well, when you knew that people were going to be testing it with them, kind of in front of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the first prototype I made was using Magic Set Editor because, uh, again, twenty years with Magic or twenty five mm-hmm. years with Magic, it's it's ingrained in my brain that card format, and mm-hmm. I couldn't help but try to stick to that structure with the name at the top and the card frame and the box in the bottom. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was always built in my head that if I'm going to make a game, it has to look like that. Uh, and it took a while to stray from that through some uh, Facebook groups and uh, suggestions and edits from other designers to to not go with that box template and really try to break free. But um, uh, like you say, having having the presence of the character sheet and then eventually the map, uh, that went a long way. Uh, and the character sheet is the thing I had right from the beginning is having that board in front of you that you could just put your cards on top of and visually kind of look back to old RPGs where you open up your inventory screen in Final Fantasy and you see that yeah. you've got your boots, your boot spot and your helmet, and your helmet spot. That meant a lot to me and that part of the game has been there since the beginning. What I've kind of understand from the game is that you've tried to kind of take the main parts that you would expect in a role-playing game but not kind of overcomplicate it so that... Um, accessibility seems to have been very important to yourself the game seems to be of almost designed to be very easy to pick up and play yeah yeah it's, it's designed to not be one of those um, 120 hour campaigns where you have to go through uh, two textbooks of rules it's, it's not designed to be D&D or to be Gloomhaven or to be uh, too yeah. much it's, desi- it's designed for a ge- group of gamers who just want to get a game in to pick it up and they can play it in an hour to two hours and not have to worry about what happened last time or what's going to happen next time. It's just, let's have some fun in a fantasy world. It's new. It's 
it's got all the classic tropes that you look forward to, uh, mm-hmm. but it's got some mechanics that help guide you through it in a, in a fast way. And suddenly, before you know it, an hour later, you've got this epic character that can slay dragons or hydras, and, and that's what I was looking for, is a quick escape uh, to get to that 20th level character without spending uh, 20 weeks to get there. Yeah, I mean, I've been writing as a, I mean, this is kind of like an unusual episode because I guess it's kind of like speak to the developer, but at the same time give your thoughts on how you've kind of found the game because <laughs> I've got some kind of initial thoughts that will be written down and will, you know, is in the process of getting written down and will be out there on the blog to find it. I think it's strange because I've been learning kind of mage night just okay. now because obviously um i've been watching videos and one of my i guess one of the first things i thought about is like it's like legends of novice is like somebody went to play mage night looked at all of the kind of various components kind of the various cards all the permutations of everything that you had to go to play around and basically went right i i don't have the strength to do this i can't kind of go through all the card things in order to make it work and decided to kind of kind of simplify the process in order to make it kind of as simple as possible i mean in terms of kind of like the instructions themselves i mean it, it, they're fairly I mean, you've got kind of like the main four actions or the main kind of four stages that you take on your turn, kind of like over two pages of A4. <laughs> I mean, was that a conscious? I mean, that struck me because what I think what I've what I've my thought my thought so far was like I when I looked at the when I looked at the components as I say my first thought was oh my goodness this is Mage Night and it's going to be so overly complicated and I might. You know, I might, I'm going to try and play it because there's a big map, but the map itself <laughs> isn't necessary. It's got place names, you have to reference things. I'm going to have to go through a massive reference in order to find the kind of the places. But in practice, actually, a lot of the stuff is just this is what you do in a multiplayer game, this is what you do in a solo player game. And the actual yeah, actions yeah. themselves are just like they're on two pages of A4. I mean, was that. Was that something that you were conscious of making the accessibility side of things? Was that yeah, I, conscious? Yeah, I, w- I wanted like a, a gateway game into the D and D RPG adventure worlds that mm-hmm. even experienced gamers would enjoy. So sometimes you make those mid games that you know nobody who, who's experienced those better games would ever play. But I think this one mm-hmm. crosses that gap where uh, even people that have loved fantasy games that are more extensive than this would still enjoy playing this one and it was to just keep the mechanics uh, straightforward enough that you could just learn it quickly you can probably learn it in about 10 minutes and then you can finish a game Uh, your first game might take you a little bit longer and as you say the location and the map is a little bit overwhelming at first because there are 36 locations but um, you can just learn about those locations when you go to go to them or you can get through a first game knowing that you could have done better because you could have travel a little bit differently Um, but you you can play the game right out of the box within 10 or 15 minutes where some of those other board games or uh, battle games uh, really take a lot much you might spend four hours just learning how to play the game and that's not what i was going for so yeah yeah i mean it's kind of chewy but it's not crunchy if you know (laughs) what i mean 
It's one way to phrase it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, it's one of these games. I mean, um, I have obviously I've got questions regarding certain kind of mechanics and things like that, which I'd like to bring, you know, bring to your attention. But I must say, like, once right. you kind of got through the setup, um, it was kind of there, it was laid out, and it was relatively quite simple to kind of to kind of get going and to into play. Um, in terms of the gameplay, and I guess we'll kind of talk about the gameplay. You are kind of going around the map, and you've got options where you can you can kind of like travel between places. And as you travel between places, then you have the option to well, you roll a dice, and that decides kind of what happens in terms of your travel. So you'll either be fine, and you'll just continue to travel, or you'll um you'll draw an adventure card which might lead you know you'll you'll you get end up in some kind of adventure kind of type scenario or you'll actually end up kind of battling someone as well and was mm-hmm. again was that kind of a conscious kind of decision to again kind of emulate almost like the dungeon master type thing because this seemed to be kind of like almost like having an invisible kind of dungeon master there who was kind of deciding kind of maybe what was going on but it was a surprise to you because you weren't (laughs) able to kind of like look ahead yeah i mean the idea behind the travel mechanic that you're referencing is where you uh, there's a lot of games where you roll a die and you move that far this game doesn't do that you get to choose Mm -hmm. how far you move Uh, Mm -hmm. but the die represents what happened on your journey so you can phrase it however you want. If you if you have a game group that's really into role-playing, you can role-play the heck out of just your travel move. Because uh, let's say I roll the travel die and I roll the adventure card. So mm-hmm. I, I could say this cool thing happened and my player learned this ability uh, if they got a skill card. Or if you roll a reward card, you could say, you know, when I was traveling from Silverin to the Floating Falls, uh, I came across this... Uh, Cave where I found the sword. I mean, you can go as far as you want into the role playing aspect, but that's not required for the game. You could just as easily say, you know what, I went from silver into floating falls and I got this treasure. Uh, your turn. Uh, so it can be simple, it can be complex, but the mm-hmm. travel travel mechanic is just about representing that something happened to you from point A to point B. Uh, because when you travel a distance, there's always something that happens. Uh, but it has to have a little bit of randomness to keep it exciting. Yeah, it's the. Um is there a way to allow people to kind of mitigate the randomness with, you know, because that, that, I mean, that was my first concern is that you could end up having a bad roll and rolling kind of <laughs> several kind of encounters one after another within the first couple of rounds, which means you might kind of um, end up kind of losing kind of experience because I guess the aim of the game is to get this 25 experience points and that means you become the kind of the legend of novice and you know, everybody loves you and kind of will lend you their car keys whenever you ask for them. But, um, I mean, did you go through kind of like a lot of play testing regarding that kind of the, that random element when people were traveling about? Yeah, and um, there, there's plenty of options that you have in the game to help strategize. You know, when do you want to not travel and when do you want to explore? Because that could give you extra cards that will help you in the game. Or mm-hmm. when you do face an encounter, you have the option to run away which then saves you from losing experience and you still safely get to your location. So there's a couple of things that help differ from the repetitive consequences of bad rolls. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're just like any game, they're 
any game that involves luck with cards and, and dice, uh, there there could be the occasion where the person rolls one every time they roll the d10 and rolls mm-hmm. the encounter card all the time. So um, I'd say out of the the number of games that I play tested, I've seen others play test. The chances of having that repeat run of constant bad luck is pretty slim, and, mm-hmm. and it's usually a pretty fair game by the end. In terms of the um, in terms of then the other thing is your explore action. Which again allows you to kind of, um, you decided to kind of have an explore action in an area, but then you had like a reference chart. So when people were in a particular area, it had a little bit, a kind of a slight bit of backstory, but it also kind of gave you an idea of what would happen if you rolled a certain dice within that kind of area as well. If I'm if I'm reading that correctly, yeah. Um. Was that to kind of help kind of do the well, the world building to make everything kind of specific as well so people would travel to definite regions in order to carry out like a specific action or part of the adventure? Yeah, there's, a, there's some incentivization in some of the locations. So each of the major players, player character classes have a city where if you go there, you get two extra experience and a reward. So it kind of gives you a reason to want to go to that location. And if you look at the map, each of the classes is in a different part of the world. So there's an incentive to to spread out even from the get-go. Another incentive for traveling to certain locations is the um, quest cards within the adventure deck. There might be a quest that tells you to go to a certain location and you'll get extra experience if you accomplish a task there. Uh, And then there's other locations where you just might want to go there because you know that that location will allow you to fight undead or it might allow you to um, just gain experience if you rest there for a turn. Um, so once players get familiar with this location guide and get an idea of what each location does, they can kind of plan a journey or they may change their minds on where they want to go. And um, the biggest part of the game is defeating the quest creatures, which is kind of the th- biggest threats of the world. And nobody wants to go to those spots until they're ready to face one. Uh, but those things um, really are what make or break your character success. Uh, because within the rules, there is a, a rule in there where you can't win the game unless you've defeated at least one of those creatures. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to me like, in my experience with the you know times that we've played the game, that um, it never turns into kind of like a two or three hour slog unless you wanted it to become a two or three hour game. And I mean, was that the kind of the intention as well that you kind of gave people the choice to? to kind of take their time because I was able on in all honesty I was able to once I picked it up you were able to kind of rattle through a game within about 45 minutes depending on whether you were playing like a solo game or you were playing like a two player game but if you wanted to take your time I could see that expanding out to kind of like two or three hours so were you allowing the kind of same kind of variability that you would say you would get in like a D&D game then? Yeah, I mean, um, the idea behind, you know, the words that'll be on the box or you see on some of the the promotional material says 60 to 90 minutes. And that's if um, you have a group of two to five players that are just really trying to get through the game without a lot of um, role playing. It's it's just getting to the core of the game. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they they want to take that to the next level and really talk about their characters or their adventures, they could take it further than that. Uh, But the the real... um, it's designed to be a streamlined version where you can get through this epic game within an hour, hour and a half. And then if you're playing solo, like you said, you could easily get through a game in half an hour playing solo. Uh, yeah. Because when, when you're playing solo games, uh, I don't think there's many that want to sit there through an hour or two hours just playing one game. 
it was um it was a light game, almost like a bit of a palate cleanser when it was a solo game. Yeah. To be honest, it didn't. It was taxing, but it was also kind of a little bit of fun, and there was a little bit of puzzle to it as well. Because as you go around the areas, you're kind of gathering kind of additional equipment that you can use to make your character more powerful before you go off and you can face the final kind of the fight. As you said, the final kind of quest enemies that you were appearing, and there were some, you know, there's some big guys with some big <laughs> kind of hit points and some kind of big kind of big attacks, but it's as I say, at the same time, it was, um, you still kind of felt in a little, you know, there was a lot of control there. On occasion, I was unlucky in a couple of times where I did end up kind of facing off against an encounter where I was quite clearly kind of underpowered. But then, as you said, you're able to run away from that encounter without incurring too much of a penalty kind of thing. Um, this i mean with with the way that the with the way that the kind of the map is structured and stuff like that and the fact that you need a kind of the map to play have you thought about kind of like expansions kind of like different maps being able to go to like slightly different islands kind of change locations and stuff like that have you kind of cons- considered doing that at all then with yeah i mean um Going back to that background of magic, uh, it's all about expansions. You know, what more could you do than just a base game? When planning out the mm-hmm. original Legends of Novus, the idea was uh, this has got to be like the green field. This has to be the start of something. Uh, mm-hmm. So this land, the landmass that is Novus, was kind of compiled together through a giant magical maelstrom that created this one massive island continent. But that's all you see in this game. Uh, but if the game were successful, if enough people enjoyed the, the gameplay mechanics and the core characters, um, mm. I've got it in my mind, and I've been working it out with uh, the graphic artist as well as where could we expand to. And actually, if you look at the most recent version of the game board that I have on the website, uh, you'll see that there's four golden locations, um, northeast, uh, south, and west, and each of those locations is the potential expansion port. Uh, so one of them is... Uh, uh, ghostly coast that could be uh, you may end up taking a ship to another continent. Another one is uh, the caverns, so something could happen underground. Uh, another one is another one is Or's altar, and another one is the demonic temple. So the potential for expansion is there, and it all depends on um, is there enough interest in this game? Do people like it, and where could it go from there? I mean, um, personally, for me. Um, it kind of, I kind of the ran. I wasn't too sure about the random elements every single time, and I could see how could that could maybe put somebody off. I could see if somebody had a of a, a bad time with an experience with one game, then maybe they might say, "Well, that I'm not doing this because I kept rolling <laughs> encounters and I kept having to run away." Yeah. However, as you said, you're right, and you know the experience that I had when I you know was playing it through was that you generally were able to mitigate a lot of the stuff by not doing stupid things, as in not charging up to the main quest monster when you didn't even have like a decent shield or something like that, or knowing when to explore or knowing when to run away or knowing when to kind of manage where you were. Um, I like the fact it wasn't overly complicated and that you could get up and running very very quickly but I did like the fact that 
there seemed to be a lot of content in terms of the card stuff, as in there was a lot of adventure cards. There was, you know, there was a lot of a lot of encounter cards, and I could see that being expanded easily with like certain, you know, certain creatures kind of thing. Um, and it wasn't that heavy. It would be a nice kind of maybe. Um, it was a nice kind of alternative to what you would see in maybe a dungeon crawler. Yeah, where yeah. a lot of the campaigns are kind of pre-selected and um, you're still dealing with randomness, but you're generally dealing with randomness on a, on a kind of an attack side of things as opposed to kind of the explore side of things, which was kind of, which kind of interested. Um, yeah, and, and the term, I discovered this term after making the game, but I never heard of it before, but they call that a sandbox game where you're in control of where you go and what you do. It's mm-hmm. not predetermined by cards or a, a campaign, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that was exciting that, that, that there was a term already for it, and I just hadn't realized what it was when it came to board games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I mean, and that's the kind of the impression that I got. In terms of kind of like marketing the game and getting the word out there, now obviously there's a big, and this is one of the things we talk about on a regular basis, has it been a difficult th- thing trying to get kind of like the word out there on the game as it made you realize kind of how busy the kind of the the kickstarter space is really yeah that's it's more than just the kickstarter space it's just uh, retail with board games is immense there's so many options out there mm-hmm. whether it's in this fantasy genre that i'm committed to or whether it's through um Euro games or through uh, abstract games. Uh, there's just so many potential options out there. And even today, if you look at Kickstarter, there's over a dozen new launches. So what happens to the one that launched a week ago or two weeks ago? Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't have some kind of marketing or awareness strategy, it's just going to get lost and never get funded. Uh, so uh, a lot of things I've tried to do throughout the past year included um, creating the Facebook group, uh, mm-hmm. creating an I've never used Instagram or Twitter before I developed this game, so I, I put those into uh, into use just trying to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. And, and just a simple call-out to someone like you or someone like Richard Bliss from Finding the Dream. or yeah. um, Just just yesterday, I sent an email to Jamie Stegmaier, believe it or not, and just said, hey, Jamie, I just wanted to share with you a couple things that I've tried on my Kickstarter and I thought you might be interested. And I was amazed that he actually gave a reply and might even post something about it. So, um, yeah, Jamie, you know, yeah, Jamie's, um, Jamie's good people, though. I mean, Jamie is one of the, you know, he's genuinely just... He's the top. He's a top guy. He's written some absolutely fantastic stuff about yeah, kind of like the, the Kickstarter stuff. And I can't remember, don't even know how many of his articles I've read, but I know his 10 box checklist. I, I really tried to commit to hitting every one of those boxes as best mm-hmm. as I could where I'm located because uh, location has a big uh, factor into how many people you can reach as well. What's, um, what's it been like? Kind of having the with the backers that you've got, um, having the community kind of there, having a community kind of appear and be supporting you on the Kickstarter. After obviously you've been kind of, I take it almost like a kind of a lone, a lone wolf kind of forging on by yourself <laughs> to kind of rock up and then have a couple of hundred people kind of turn up and go, no, I, I believe in you, Wes. Let's let's do this. Uh, um. It's been, I, I started off uh, last year, so I, I began the design of this game first, but then 
about three months into it, after reading about, again, uh, different blogs and podcasts and watching Kickstarters, I knew that I didn't know enough about the gaming industry or the hobby to, to make this one a reality yet. And that's where I created a small game. It was uh, 49 cards called Duel of the Dragons that went on Kickstarter. And it was only on for two weeks, and I was able to deliver it within uh, two months or three months to every one of the backers. And yeah. that's what really um, helped me understand Kickstarter. So I kind of got a preview of what to expect in the community chat and how to build that up. And and this game has already got four times as many backers as that one. And uh, learning um, how to interact with them and whether it's through the personal messages or through the comments or through the Facebook group, uh, it's been yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, just a community that wants to help you grow. Uh, and also those that are, are just there to critique you, you've got to take those hits too and make sure you capture what's important from that critique and uh, shrug off the stuff that maybe doesn't matter as much. Yeah, yeah. As I say, it's kind of like putting your baby out there and <laughs> somebody somebody walking up and saying it's it's an ugly baby. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, it must... absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, has it been... I mean, have you got plans or plans for what you're going to do kind of if you don't hit the funding kind of target i mean obviously it's still you know there's still a reasonable amount of time to go um have you thought about that side of things are you just going to see how this kind of campaign kind of pans out before you think of anything else yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought about the, you got to think about failure from day one. Um, even if the day you launch, somebody else has a million dollar campaign, you're already going to fall way behind. And um, mm-hmm. there's been some pretty awesome campaigns that launch within the time of this one as well. And um, whether that's part of why we're not quite at that 50% mark yet or not, um, regardless, the, the chances there that this game won't fund. And so reality says, what are you going to do with that? Uh, and Thankfully, Kickstarter gives you the option to cancel at any time or relaunch. Um, and the community of backers that you gain when you when you do an initial Kickstarter, they're still with you. I mean, you can still reach out to them, whether it's through email or through an update on an yeah. expired campaign. And, and so the plan would be if this game were not to fund, would not be to give up on it. Invested uh, too much time and energy. And I believe in the game uh, so much that I think it would deserve a relaunch a couple months down the road should this one not pan out. And I think mm. some of the backers are really behind it. And if you look at, I think there's a gentleman from uh, Overboard Games. I mean, he had some awesome things to say about that on his live Twitch viewing or playing of it. And uh, I think kind of some of the comments he makes are what I feel about the game. And uh, just, I think that can go on and on um, and make a relaunch uh, possibility more exciting because day one is what has the greatest impact on the Kickstarter success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if people have been listening along so far and saying, right, okay, um, you told me a little bit about the gameplay. Um, <laughs> I'm hearing about the mechanics. Um, you know, I apparently appear to be quite positive about the game in the whole. Um, if they want to jump in, I mean, what? How much is a kind of like a pledge level to kind of get involved with? Yeah, so uh, the, the basic pledge level, if you just want to be able to print and play your own game, there's a, a big community for that uh, that, I, that I'm part of on uh, Facebook. That's about uh, $6 American. And then if you want the actual core game, uh, just the base game and any stretch goals that might come along with it, that would be $49 US. That's pretty decent. I mean, it is decent because um, you haven't seen what I've seen. 
and you get your <laughs> dice and there's dice and there's lots of cards and you've got a pretty decent huge type map and um encounters and you've got yeah it's i was kind of yeah you know i must say yeah, I've seen, you know for that especially for that kind of price point as well which seems to be a funny price point for kind of kickstarters that seems to kind of be the the kind of the average for it is now yeah i think uh unless you have minis which i, I wasn't going for if you have miniatures you can you can go a little higher than that, but you really should keep your game $50 or less if you're yeah. not including miniatures. And uh, the, the main call out for this game is that the map, the visual of the map, I think is pretty awesome. Uh, some great art by Boris Tirano there. Uh, but then the character sheets that were graphically designed by Andrea Butera, who did all the art for the game uh, thus far, is, is really what um, I personally think visualizes the game. And those character sheets, the ones you have in the prototype are just paper. Uh, but it's mm. been elevated to a dual layer cardboard, and those added, added a bit of cost to the game. So that's why uh, I couldn't get the price any lower. Is I wanted to make sure those boards were a core part of the game, uh, yeah, just to re- represent who your character is and make it feel special. Cool. Um, if if people want to kind of keep an eye on you on the internet webs, where can we find you on the internet webs? Uh, you can find me at uh, www.legendsofnovus.com. We mm-hmm. made sure we own that domain name because we wanted that Legends of Novus is that important. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, just uh, Wesley Woodbury, or Twitter, same uh, Instagram. You can find me at Fundamental Games. Uh, but chances are you type in Legends of Novus, you're going to find one of the websites or groups that links right back to me. So that's probably the best way. And have you got um, kind of other game designs in the pipeline? I mean, I know you're talking about expansions for Legends of Novus, but do you have kind of, you know, is there a skirmish miniatures game there? Do you have like a, you know, a happy cookery kind of card game kind of thing? You know, are we, you know? Uh, I'm fully committed to the fantasy theme world. I've grown up in that field from the day I read my first Dragonlance book to the magic for over the years in D&D. Uh, so anything I make is probably going to be in that genre just because I love it and you want to do something you're passionate about. And yeah. I have a passion for fantasy, so it'll be in that field. I did, like I said, Duel of the Dragons was that little one. Uh, the other one I have, on, um, I've built a prototype and played it numerous times, even had it printed and played with some other groups. Is uh, a game called Spellbooked. And that one is a game where you, uh, it's like a three-stage game and you're going to draft cards and you're going to create a little hand of cards and do a little bit of spell dueling, uh, but nothing in the nature of magic. It's it's all a a different concept. Uh, So that game is in my head and there's a prototype built, but uh, my 100% focus has been on Novus for the last three months and uh, probably for the the coming rest of the year here. Cool. Um, What we will do is we'll make sure that we take all the the links and we'll put them in the show notes so that we've got notes to show um, thank you very very much for coming on Wes it's um, it's been it's been it's been a pleasure and yeah I, can only... I mean sorry no no it's been uh, fantastic talking to you and getting the chance to even discuss my game um with somebody in a more public atmosphere because you can only do so much talking to people online or trying to present it in visuals. So I appreciate the time you spent with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, we'll make sure that we um, we share the link out there so people can 
you know, can catch up on the campaign. Um, I have played it. I am writing some words about it. I have been, um, I had fun with it. Um, I'll be honest. Um, um, I, I have, um, I had some concerns which I brought up just now, and uh, yeah. So uh, I would say is is uh, it's worthwhile giving a look and seeing if you want something slightly different than the kind of the normal kind of run of the mill, um, kind of roll and move, roll and fight kind of thing. Um, the artwork looks stunning. The map looks amazing. Um, the engraved dice look pretty cool. Um, I kind of like. Um, yeah, I like a lot of it about it, and it's worthwhile kind of checking out if you're looking for something kind of slightly different. If you want to continue to check us out, you can find us on the various social medias like your Twitters and your Facebooks and your Instagrams as well. If you search for We Are Not Wizards, um, if you have um, want to email us, you can email us at magic at wizards.com. You can go to our website, which is We Are Not Wizards. You can go and find us on the various podcast catchers of choice, which your Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Podbean and all those lovely places, Spotify and Google Podcasts. We're just everywhere. We're like a rash, <laughs> but not the type where you go to the doctor. Just a nice rash that gets warm and keeps you warm. Not a bad rash. Don't get cream for us, please. Um, if you like us even more, there's a couple of things you can do. Go and tell somebody about us. You know, anyone, random person at the bus stop, you know, waiter that you, you know, you see at the restaurant. I don't know. It's up to yourself. Just, oh, the other thing you can do is you can go to Apple Podcasts and uh, you can leave us, uh, get us a subscription, subscribe, because apparently that's wonderful and magical. And you can leave us a rating or a review. As I say, if you leave us a rating or a review, um, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big headed but don't give us 1 star because it makes us cry and I'm getting old so I'm getting those wrinkle things at the side of my eyes so every time I cry you're effectively making me more wrinkly and I don't like that so give us 5 because it's in the middle and it's average and we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average is rather wonderful they're rather fantastic the enemy of the Canadian Postal Service himself. I bring you <laughs> Wes Woodbury. Thank you again, Wes, for coming on. It's um, it's been a lot of fun. Thank um, you. And there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Wes? We're not wizards, but we're legends. That's fantastic. I love that. That's brilliant. Write that down, someone. We'll record it. We'll be recording it. That's good. We'll be out there forever. And the and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Wes. Say goodbye, Wes. Goodbye. Thank you. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and um, check out Legends of Novus. You know, there you go. Do it. Click the link. Have a look. If you like what you see, give it a back. You know, but until the next time, goodbye. Wizard is never late.
boy is here early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 